Welcome back to that rugby podcast uh, hosted by the Sports Boy Booth. You've got myself and Husey back again as we mm-hmm. get into the decider, the one that really matters, what we've all been building up to. Yeah. Um, we the bronze medal match between Argentina and England, <laughs> of course. Of course. Yep. Yep, that's what we're most looking forward to. No, obviously a, a World Cup final, two semi-finals yep. happened over the weekend. Uh, two very different games, to be said. Um, but let's let's run through them. I want to get your opinion on them as well. We haven't discussed this yet uh, as counterparts. Um, but let's start with the first game. Yeah. Obviously, New Zealand running riot over Argentina. Yeah. I don't think there's a whole lot to say in this one for me. I mean, clearly the better team won. Uh, and New Zealand uh, in the final uh, deservedly. You know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. They they've you know built off the back of you know tremendous uh, defence uh, last week um, against Ireland. Um, even though they went down to France in the the pool stage, even that itself was um, very very close. Uh, but against Ireland, they formed themselves into an impenetrable wall. And against Argentina, I mean, they've done much the same, but they've shown that attacking flair that makes them so dangerous, you know? Um, 44 points on anyone is a huge amount, um, let alone on another semi-finalist and another uh, rugby championship team in Argentina. Um, it's just, yeah, you know, New Zealand, they've been building towards this, they've been building towards this, and Ian Foster has the All Blacks in a Rugby World Cup final. Yeah, I mean, a year ago, we probably, not many people were expecting this, I would say. No. Um, I, I think even a month ago, a month ago, when they lost to France, I don't think many people would have expected it. No, yeah, I, I agree. I I, I, don't, I think a lot of people were surprised to see us beat Ireland, which, understandably so. And then, obviously, coming up against Los Pumas, they haven't been quite right this whole tournament. Like, yeah, um, there's just been something with this Argentinian team. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to put my finger on it. Like, they've got the coach... They've definitely got the talent in that squad, um, but they just haven't been able to put it together in a performance yet. Even against Wales, like it was mm. a shaky win they got through. Semi-final on paper, it's going to look good, but they just never looked like a team that was going to take this tournament. Um, mm. And then in this game, I, I actually predicted this. I was on, on the train into watching it um, at the London Event Centre, or wherever it was, the, the, the hub for the Rugby World Cup in London. Uh, me and a couple of Kiwi mates are going, and I said, I don't think Argentina scores a try. I think they're going to kick three or four penalties. They'll get 12 points. It'll be like 20 to 12 at half time, and then we'll run away with it in the second half, put up like 40 points. And it's exactly yeah. what happened realistically. Like Argentina kicked in a couple early penalties, but New Zealand just too dominant. And the way we've defended the past two weeks just has me believing that we can win this Rugby World Cup. And it yeah. sits there and it's... I think it's more of a credit to just about Ireland of how they scored 24 points against us. Like, since that first game against France, no one's really looked like scoring too many points. I know Italy did, but when you're winning 96-odd, whatever it was, 96-5, they ended up with 17. But I just don't think a lot of teams are going to be able to score against us. And Mm. I just think the way we've defended has just been ruthless. It's probably the best way to describe it because yeah Argentina never looked like scoring and that yeah like to say that for a team like Argentina who do have enough X factor and weapons on that side to score tries it's surprising and it's 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 a good surprise for me probably not a good surprise for the rest of the world 
saying that, we then headed into a very different second semi-final. South Africa also heavily favoured to beat England, but England put up one hell of a fight. Yeah, I think everyone was surprised about how good England looked and the fact that England was leading for 78 minutes in this game up until a Andre Pollard conversion. Um, you And it was it's largely through Oren, Oren Farrell's kicking. I mean, it was entirely through Oren Farrell's kicking, really, but the, to get them in the position was a huge effort by uh, the entire English team. But, you know, you said England's early win over uh, Argentina was all about the drop goals. You saw uh, Oren Farrell take that, you know, risk it for that drop goal and, and get it uh, in this game. Just absolutely incredible. The English will be understandably disappointed, but man, to swap head coaches at the start of the year in such a fashion, have no success during the Six Nations or really leading up to this tournament. No one believed in them, but uh, but there's, there's a couple of players that really stood out for me other than Owen Farrell. Uh, one of them was Joe Marler. I think he had a blinder of a game. And at times he even held Owen Farrell, the captain back from mouthing off to the referee too much. And Owen Farrell was penalized a couple of times for that. I feel like Joe Marler was, while he was on the field, really kept a level head for this team. I think after he got substituted off in the 53rd minute, that's when you really saw a bit of a momentum swing. Three of um, three of South Africa's scores came after that point, the try the conversion and the and the last penalty all came after Joe Marler was off the pitch, right? Um, and then Courtney Laws had uh, and I and I, you could chuck Ben Earl in there as well, but Courtney Laws had just an incredible game, like all over the ball, uh, great carrying, um, just a, a fantastic effort from him. Um, and you could see the the talent that's there in this England team, and they'd be so disappointed to have missed out on a, on another final and to lose to South Africa again because. They played a hell of a game. They played a hell of a game. They played probably the best game you can play against South Africa. That was South Africa mm. ball. I yeah, I agree. Joe Marler, the the scrum was so oh, I don't want to say dominant because it wasn't dominant, but it was so well held by Joe. Um and even I think it's Dan Cole on the other side. But that yeah. as soon as you they made those subs and he, as good as Alice Ginge is as an open field runner. Mm. That's when the game started to turn. That that bomb squad was able to get under, and that's when they started winning penalties off scrums and stuff like that. And that's how that mm. South Africa starts to roll. So, a really yeah, really interesting, I guess, tactical game by coaches as well. I think mm. you've got to give a lot of credit to Steve Warwick. Um, after that Fiji loss, we all sat here and counted England out and they said they've got no chance. Yeah. And he definitely changed his tune, changed his tactics. Look, England can play expensive rugby, but it's not their natural game, and they went to what yeah. their natural game was, and that's, you know, playing field position. I thought Alex Mitchell, who pre-tournament, I didn't even know who Alex Mitchell was. Um, not yeah. going to lie, as a, as a rugby pundit, we can try and call ourselves not very good ones, but I, I had no idea who Alex Mitchell was. Like, that's how little knowledge I had on that uh, scrum half position mm-hmm. for England, and he, his box kicks were on point. They they won that battle, the the lineout battle that they won, and this is another one for Courtney Laws, Marty Otoje. Um, they just they not you don't often see South Africa losing lineouts, but first lineout still, second lineout not straight, and you just went, what is going on with South Africa here? Like you've got two of the biggest locks in the game. You've also you know you've got options everywhere, and they just couldn't get it right. And um, yeah, as you said, I think some of those 
and, and I gave a lot of credit to um, Nine Bar and, and, and Rezzy as well, they, as you can see with South Africa, they have, they are obviously such a close group of players because for many Lobop to be able to just come off after 30 minutes, you know, there's no complaints, there's nothing like that. It, does, it didn't even look disappointed. It was more like, I haven't done my job well enough today, but it may not be, it may. It, it was proper, and to, to his credit, the game just wasn't going the way that Manny Lebox style suited, and it suited a Andre Pollard style. 30 minutes, they make that change. They don't care. 40 minutes in, they have to clerk on. Like, they are just such a team, and just the coaches, like, you have to give them credit. Like, the game was not going their way, and they managed to turn it around, in my opinion, with the substitutions they made, with the timing of their changes, with everything. RG Snowman coming on for Eben Etzebeth, that's a huge decision to make. And he scored the fucking game-winning try, realistically. Just to yeah. me, I just sit there and I go, that was some really brave calls from the South African coaching box, some really fantastic calls from the English coaching box. Um, just a lot of really good rugby in that game. And everyone's going to sit there and say it was boring and they play boring rugby, they play negative rugby. I go... I don't know if, you, if it's just me, but I sat on the edge of my seat for 80 minutes watching that game, yeah. being like, can South Africa turn this around? Like, as much as it may have not been expensive, that was rugby to me. That was that was dead set rugby, mm-hmm. two teams, physical, battling it out, trying to play similar styles but different. And look, no one can beat South Africa at South Africa ball. It's just a fact. I, I sat there and I, I was like, I feel like England need at least two more penalties here. And in yeah. the end, it caught up with them. Um, 15 points, I just don't think, is enough to beat South Africa. Like, they defended well enough to beat them, only leading in one try, but I don't think 15 points is enough to beat South Africa. I think you have to tally in the 20s to beat South Africa. And they shot themselves in the foot a little bit as well, Owen Farrell mouthing off, giving South Africa just a bit more space here and there. Like, even if it didn't necessarily lead to points, it's just a mental battle and it's just putting yourself on the wrong side of the referee, which is just so important. Um, that being said, I don't think Ben O'Keefe called a bad game at all in this one. Um, I think he did a, he did a very good job. Um, one of the decisions I want to talk about, which I thought was the most impactful, was subbing off Willem Sir for Willie LaRue, actually. Because Willem Sir had a great game last week, but I think he was overwhelmed at times this week. Um, and getting that experience for LaRue back there, even though he didn't necessarily offer as much in attack, he just had that safety um, there at the back, he is an experienced 15. It's his, you know, he, he's been there, done that. Um, and it was just, I think that turned it for England because the only points, uh, sorry, turned it for South Africa. The only points England scored in the second half was the Owen Farrell drop goal. They couldn't get a penalty close enough to the line. They couldn't force any errors, um, close enough to the line to get any penalties. And that comes down, I think, to, to Willie LaRue at the back there. I think that, for me, was one of the most impactful substitutions. And I, I think it speaks to South Africa's um, game plan, uh, you know, style of play. And I think New Zealand has this as well, or at least they've developed this. But I think South Africa has it the best. Absolute selflessness, you know, you know, from uh, it, it's all about the team. It doesn't matter what the number on your back is, whether you're um, starting or a substitute. There's no... Um, and that's why I, I like how South Africa's seen it. You know, there's no such thing as um, your f- best 15 and then your reserves, right? It's a 23-person squad. And I think that's what – I think everyone needs to to learn that that's what rugby is now. Rugby is no longer a 15-person game. It's a 23-person game, right? The bench is so much more impactful now than I think it has ever been, 
really. Um, and again, it goes to sort of the NFLization of rugby where you have your substitutes come on and off, but in rugby, it's amplified because you only get, you know, you can only swap a player out. You can't bring them back in again, you know, barring injury and all the exceptional circumstances, blah, blah, blah. Um, and yeah, I think South Africa managed that better than anyone else. Yeah. Totally. I think New Zealand are close, but they're slight the New Zealand makes up for it with probably having more talent. Um, but I think South Africa have the technique of it down better. Oh, hundred percent. And you can see that and they've got it now tried and, and, and tested Mifford. Like, you know, they've tried the seven and one, they've tried all this. They've, they know what works for them. I, I, I actually think, especially rugby world cups, it's now a 33 mm. man thing. Cause if you think so a, a player's name who, who hasn't been mentioned, Lucano arm is still in the squad. And, you know, a year ago, pre-injury, up there with the world's best centre, if not the world's yeah. best outside centre. And he's just sitting on the on the reserves. And Jesse Creel's doing a fantastic job. This is not me having it. But it's just that, that selflessness, like you said, is just incredible to be a... Lacano Arm would be wa- wanting to do anything to be out there and play. But to understand yeah. he's probably got a role at training. He's he's probably... I guarantee you he's passing on all his knowledge to Jesse Creel just to get them over the line. So, yeah, mm. look, it's a, it's a special thing, South African rugby, um, especially the team. I'm not going to talk too much about the supporters because the supporters are absolutely nutty. Um, and I'm going to hold off in case we, in case the, the worst thing in the world happens to me this weekend and that's a South mm. African beat the All Blacks. And then whatever I say now to the South African fans will get twisted and I will lose all credibility I have because they'll come after my head. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I'll hold that, myself See, that, that's the, the only – see, I think New Zealand versus Africa is going to be probably it, – it is the best two teams at this World Cup, I think, going at it. I think the only other final that would have been close would be a France-Ireland final. Totally. Um, and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that Ireland were in South Africa's pool and not playing them in the finals, because I think we could have had a different result in either the quarter or the semi-final. Yeah. That being that being said, the negative, the downside to this of South Africa winning is that I know South Africans, right? And I'm friends with South Africans. I play touch footy with South Africans. So uh, there will be a small part of me, a very, very small part of me that will be sad if South Africa loses because I know my friends will be upset that they lost. Whereas if it had been England that won, I could have just unreservedly wished the worst <laughs> upon England and not cared. You know, I could have been 100% All Blacks. I'm 99% All Blacks in this game, 1% South Africa, just out of pure sympathy for the pe- people I play touch footy with. Um, but rest assured, I'm firmly in the New Zealand camp for this final. But yeah, that's the only that's the only downside is that I know South Africans, I don't know too many English people, and the ones that I do know don't really care about rugby. So <laughs> it's I could have just unreservedly hated the the English in the final, but I can't unreservedly hate the South Africans. Uh, I can just purely because of course I'm you can, them. of course you can because it's your team. <laughs> um, of course, so I will, I will do that. If it was the Wallabies against the the. Uh, Springbok in the final, I would unreservedly hate South Africa as well. But because I'm a- out of it a little bit, uh, but I will be cheering on the All Blacks uh, th- this this weekend. Um, well, yeah, this Sunday morning coming up. Um, very, in, in, It's actually postponed my Sunday morning touch football. Uh, we usually play a little bit early, but this week, this weekend, we held off for another 30 minutes to let everyone watch the end of the game. We'll do the same this weekend, we might even 
defer the game altogether because I think some of the guys are going to the pub or something, so they might not show up. We don't know. <laughs> but look, I will be firmly in camp all black for this one, um, cheering on uh, for you, my Anzac brother. This is it's Anzac time now. It is. It is. And and look, this is this is this is what I'm talking about. This is a deep respect that New Zealand and South Africa have in rugby against each other that we can hate each other so much. But when mm. it comes to the game time, it's all nothing but respect. Saying that, yeah. this is deciding, in my opinion, the greatest rugby nation right here, right now. This one yeah. gives the bragging rights of four. Four is the number that we're going into this Rugby World Cup thinking about. That's all we can mm. think about is four Rugby World Cups. Who's going to do it? Well, you know, it, it could go either way. I'm, I'm honestly like, if I was a betting man, you'd put them both at a dollar ninety odds. It's not mm-hmm. like even because New Zealand won the semi final by more, had the easier semi final. I don't think that that gives us an upper hand because I think South Africa take more out of their game from England than we take out of our game from Argentina. Saying that, yeah. and looking at all the results, I do think New Zealand has a slight upper hand. But if it's a, if it's an upper hand, it's the slightest of slightest upper hands. Um, I'm going to be really interested. With the team selection from both teams, I imagine New Zealand doesn't change at all. South Africa, look at players like Ibadet Tabeth, who I only know only got through forty-four minutes um, on, on on this weekend. How do they how do they play with player rotation? They've now had back to back grueling games, so how does that play on their mind? You know, the All Blacks had the luxury of getting Scott Barrettson binned in the sixty-six minute and just deciding not to be not even bring him back on. You know, so they played with fourteen men for the last fourteen minutes because they had that luxury of the of the scoreline. So I go, there's just two very different performances, two very different games that have probably weird on the teams differently. But a rugby world cup final is South Africa's home as far as I can see. They love yeah. a rugby world cup final. Well, I've said a lot of social media posts that South Africa versus New Zealand, oh, it's the most boring final possible. It's bad for global rugby. South Africa and New Zealand have only played one Rugby World Cup final against each other. So I don't think it's that boring. And of course, that was, you know, famously the 1995 one uh, with the end of apartheid and everything, Nelson Mandela and stuff in South Africa, right? And that's, you know, regarded as one of the best Rugby World Cup finals of, of all time, maybe only second to the 2003 World Cup final, um, and even that's up for debate. Um, so I would agree I, with I that think, point. I would agree with that point. I think the 2003 World Cup final, even though as an All Blacks fan, that sounds like blasphemy to say because it's not yeah. involving us. That was you. You could rewatch that game today and just go, mm. "Wow, wow." Yeah. Continue. Sorry. Uh, exactly. So you know, it's it's up there with thrilling finals, and it's only been it's only happened once. So now we get another. Uh, we get a second shot of that 28 years on, you know, um, and look, Australia was the first of two world cup wins. New Zealand was the first to three. And then South Africa got their third right after New Zealand got their third. I definitely agree with you. This determines who's the, especially over the last look, the last 20 years have been dominated by these two. It was 2007, South Africa, 2011, New Zealand, 2015, New Zealand, 2019, South Africa. So for at least the last, um, two decades, you know, because I'm discounting 2003 from the end of 2003 after that World Cup to now, it's been these two teams winning the Rugby World Cup final. So that's where I, that's, I get that's where the, oh, it's boring. It's going to be one of these two teams winning it again bit comes from. But this, these two teams have been the best over that stretch. You can't, you can't, you can't look at it any other way. No other, t- no other team has approached 
those two teams' level of dominance in that time. Now this is where this is where we find out because in that stretch, South Africa's won two, New Zealand's won two. This is it. This is the decider. This is essentially a best of five series. It's tied to a piece. Game five, who takes it? It is crazy to think that we haven't played a World Cup final in that space. Both of us have won yep. two, but haven't played a World Cup final. I know we played semi in twenty eleven or twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. Yeah, twenty fifteen. You played the semi. Played a semi in twenty fifteen. Did we play? We didn't play them in two thousand seven. Didn't play them in twenty nineteen. No. We played them in the polls in twenty nineteen, and then mm. twenty eleven. I don't think we played them. That's going back too far now. Twenty eleven. Uh, we may have played them in the I quarters. Don't. I, don't, I would be surprised if we did. Uh, you didn't definitely didn't play them in the semis. Yeah. Uh, no, we we knocked them out in the quarters, quarters. in yeah. twenty eleven. Makes sense. Yeah. So, look, that's that's incredible in my mind to think that this is going to like yeah it is it's a it's the build up to everyone probably outside I, and, and I get there this is a boring final this is what it was always going to be and has always always been but like you said it hasn't always been this is yeah. the decision maker this is the final of all finals is what I'm calling it because whoever wins this has the right to call themselves the greatest world champions of all time I think um, yeah. Not in terms of team or in terms of that, just the way how everything's built. I, I look, and as good as these two teams are, there's a lot I think that will change in the next four years for these two teams. I think everyone mm-hmm. else, for the past you know twenty years, as we've said, this is two, the two teams who have been the dominant team. But the past four years, everyone has caught up. There is no doubt about it. France have caught up. Yeah, Ireland have definitely caught up. You know, Scotland, Wales, all of them are in a competitive nature now. The Six Nations is at its most competitive it's probably been in a long time. Even England showed that they have their moments. I go, this is probably the defining game for both of these two teams, two two nations, because we actually don't know what's going to happen in the next four years. We can't guarantee the dominance that these two... Yes, they'll be up and around there, but to say, like, this South African team, this is an old South African team. I know, um, who was it? Uh, Borfick, I think, came out and said... England have seven players under 25. I think South Africa had one was what he said. I'm not, don't quote me on mm-hmm. that, but it was something like that. And it, I look at the team and it doesn't surprise me. I look, I go through that whole team just in my head and I'm like, it's Kitchoff old, Bongi old, you know, Malheb. And I'm saying old, but like older than 25, you know. Yeah. It's a Biff. Um, Mostert might, might not be, um, but you've got Sia, you've got Vermeulen, you just sit there and you go, look, yeah, there's definitely talent, always talent coming through South Africa, but yeah, um, it is different. And if we look at the under-20 world champs that happened, started this year, I think it was, France took that out in, in a convincing fashion. So, look, it's it could be a, a – this is the end of the 20-year dynasty of one of these two teams if, if they don't get a win here. Um, mm. I obviously hope not, but it, it's definitely something that you've got to think about just the way – Rugby's moving, the money there is in France, the everything yep. that's going on, especially in we, we talk about you guys as well, Australia, where you're sitting at the moment. It's just it's a very interesting time for the Southern Hemisphere rugby. Yeah, there's a there was a good um, actually a signing the other day by the Waratahs from uh, this young second row, which is something we desperately need. Um, 
who went over to play in Toulon straight out of Waverley after high school. I'm forgetting his name now, but I need to find it. But he's over two meters tall and he's come to play for the Waratahs. So I'm very excited for that. Uh, I need to find his name. If I was Australia Rugby, if I was Australia Rugby, and mm. I'm going to probably pitch this to you as well. Would okay, you... got his name. Miles yeah. Amatosero. Oh, yes, yes. I've heard that name thrown around because it, it was yeah. happening and then it wasn't happening and then it was happening, so it's happened. Yeah, it has happened. Awesome. Yeah, if I was Australia Rugby, and this is more of pitching a question to you, mm. would you go and sit there and negotiate with teams or like a French rugby team and a English rugby team and go, you can sign some of our younger talent, they can make some money, and then we have the rights to them, so on and so forth. At, Alas, I'm saying this because you look at players like Nick White, Dave Poricki, even probably this fella, they've gone over there and they've come back better players. So would you be trying to build a relationship with a club over there to say, yeah. hey, this younger player, as much as we want him in Super Rugby, he wants the opportunity to make some money. We let him go to you. You could, you. Sign, him for three, you could sign him for three years. Fourth year, he reverts back to us. So he signed a contract with us Yep. for... Uh, for four years, three years of that, he's on loan to you. Um, and and that way it helps build the relationship with the player as well. Like, hey, this exactly. is why you should come through our development system because we can get you those bigger contracts overseas. You go play for Toulon, for example, for three years, then you come back here for your fourth year for the Rugby World Cup, something like that. Could yeah. be an idea. Yeah, I, again, it's, it's not something like I'm like, I love the idea. It's more, how do we... How do you keep those players wanting to play for Australia but able to make yeah. the bag in the end? Like, this kid's probably exactly. made a decent amount of coin. And if we look at it, like, Dave Perucci stands out to me. Like, he was a nobody mm. pre-coming back from England and just absolutely knew how to play rugby after that. And Nick White, yeah. I think, has the same amount of respect for that type of rugby where if you can learn more about rugby and become a better rugby player over there and it allows someone in... Australia to still pick up a jersey, and I know, obviously, we like you've talked about it. The locks probably weren't the greatest part of the Waratah squad, but it's still that's still there's more rugby being developed. Then, in my mind, yeah. you've got more players playing at a professional level, which is where you need them playing if they're going to be any any good. So, look, just before, yeah, look, you get you you look at this Wallaby squad from this tournament. The two best players, Angus Bell, who was here in Australia, and Will Skelton, who was over in France. So both places you can learn and develop and be a really good rugby player. It is just about retaining that talent because the Super Rugby Australia squads don't have enough depth and that shows. And then that also shows in the Wallabies because in the Wallabies doesn't have enough depth. So it is about, it's about retention, right? To put it in sort of corporate terms, right? You have recruitment, remuneration and retention is like a key focus area for a lot of, Business that boards have committees dedicated to what they call the three R's, and that it is one committee that looks at what a company is doing about that, and that's what Australian rugby needs. They need a recruitment, retention, and remuneration committee. So you look, you recruit the players. How do we retain them, and how do we pay them? And the remuneration part of that is a big factor often in the recruitment and in the retention, but there are other things that you can offer them as well. And that's why I think sort of the centralization or the alignment of the high performance pathways of identifying players in these systems and saying, 
look, this is your training that you need to do. You've been identified by the Wallabies as a potential future Wallaby candidate. This is how you train. This is how you get better. Or you do it across all the clubs and you say, like, you're in the Waratahs system now. This is what the Wallabies have set for training programs, goals, whatever, to be considered for Wallaby selection. You need to hit these targets. You need to do this, this, and this. You can be a Wallaby. If you're in our system, you could be playing for the Wallabies. We are directly aligned. We have direct communication with the Wallabies. You know, it's not like NRL where you're in a club and then you don't know if you play Origin. You don't necessarily have that much contact with whoever's going to be coaching the Blues. You don't have that much contact with whoever's going to be coaching the Kangaroos, et cetera, et cetera. Here, we're directly aligned. It is all about the Wallabies, the, the Super Rugby, because Super Rugby New Zealand serves the All Blacks, right? Everyone knows it is Super Rugby in New Zealand is aligned for the All Blacks. Super Rugby in Australia is still very individualistic and very clubby, right? And that's great for certain things, but it's also bad for the Wallabies. So alignment, getting everyone on the same path and realizing that we need to, our Super Rugby structure needs to serve to support a great Wallabies team is what we need. Right. Um, you know, and it looks like we're going to have some stability over the next few years. It looks like Eddie's staying, whatever, you know, as long as there's, a, it need to get rid of the indecision. Once we have a clear cut decision, clear cut path moving forward, then you just got to build, build with that. And you need the structures in place to build that. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And I think like we look at it and it's really interesting. I think if you look at the injury, especially report at this moment. You've got the All Blacks getting into a final, and I think David Harvey is the only one in, unavailable just about. And I go, yeah. you looked at that Wallaby squad, and throughout the tournament they just were decimated by injury after injury. Yeah. And injuries happen, it's part of rugby, I get it. But it's that thing again where New Zealand rugby, like you said, everything's built around the All Blacks, and then everything was built about peaking at the right time for the All Blacks, whereas yeah. if you've got... A player like Taniela Tupo, like Skelton, who, oh, you've got a peak for the Reds, or you've got a peak for La Rochelle, and then all of a sudden, oh, now, now you've got a peak for the, the Wallabies. Bodies just can't do that. Um, yeah. So it is interesting. It is really interesting. I think Australia going in the right direction. Just need to sort out some um, finer tune, some stuff there, and they'll, they'll get that. They'll get back there. I have complete faith. Okay, mate, finals prediction. What have you got for us? So you want you want the score and, and all that as well, or you just score, want the result? Score, uh, obviously, who wins comes from the score. And give me a player of the match. Okay. I am going to say it will be thirty-three to thirty. Player of the match, Bowden Barrett. I think he's going to have a big one. I think he's going to have a big one there at the fullback position. Obviously, that's a New Zealand way. I should say 33-30 New Zealand way. Oh, I had to wait. I think we had to wait with bated breath about who you were going to say was the MVP, and that decided who. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think Bowden Barrett, uh, I think he's in line for a big game like what he had against the Irish, where he just he controlled so much of that game and prevented the Irish from doing so much. The only other alternative I could possibly see is if Will Jordan puts on another three-try performance. Like if all of New Zealand's points come through Will Jordan, then I could see him being player of the match, you know. But um, short of that, I think it's going to be Bowden Barrett. Maybe Richie Mwanga could be in there as well if he 
you know, like there's, there's, I think those are my three key pieces for New Zealand of who could be man in the match. But I just, Bowden Barrett for me, it seems like this is, you know, this is his potentially last World Cup. Um, and, you know, might want to, I just feel like he's going to control the back end of the game and prevent South Africa from doing a lot of what they want to do. I think he's just so rock solid at the back there that it's, uh, it's going to be difficult for South Africa to, to do much against him. Yeah, totally. Uh, I'm not too far. Uh, agree. I think you've probably got a bit more high scoring than I've got. I think the Rugby World Cup final have come to the end of their journeys. It's been a rough journey for both teams. Tough tumble. I'm uh, going to I'm going to go 24 16 to the All Blacks. Um, mm. And I there's a, there's a one man that I think is going to be MVP. And I think it's going to take an unreal, unhuman performance from him. And he's basically there anyway. It's Adi Savia, of course. Like, yeah, of course. I'm not <laughs> talking about anyone else. Um, yeah. If we're going to win this game, it's going to take something special out of that man. And um, the, the other option I will give is I do remember a performance by a specific individual not too long ago when we whipped mm. the South Africans' bottoms 35 to, like, 20. And Shannon Frizzell, if he's on and he plays the way he did, like he did at Mount Smart Stadium... He could also mm. put his hand up. We need one of those two to have just a athletically gifted performance mm. and to dominate physically against the South Africans because that's what they do best, and we need someone to counter that. So uh, I think Adi Savi is going to have a huge game. I think he's been building nicely to have his best game in the final. I think a few turnovers, a couple of runs here, a few broken tackles, a try to top it off in the final minutes to send us home world champions. Would just would just be lovely. would be lovely. Um, Last two World Cup wins, the Victor has scored over 30 points. So I'll just chuck that out there for you. Yeah, fair, fair call. Um, fair call. It could definitely happen. I don't think both teams are scoring 30 points. That's probably my thing. And I think it's going to be a closer game to allow that. But this is a game where no matter what we could predict, the opposite could happen. Like I yeah. do remember a performance not too long ago where it was 35 7 to South Africa. I'm not forgetting that. I'm not forgetting that that happened. Like, mm-hmm. That was at Twickenham. That happened pre-World Cup. We were in yeah. disaster mode. But now we're here, a Rugby World Cup final. So, last thing for the podcast today, I'm just going to give the boys a little prep, a little speech. Look, as New Zealanders, all we do is play rugby. Especially myself. I don't do a lot else. There's not a lot, a lot else I'm good at. To be honest, I'm only half decent at rugby as well. But I'll consider myself even better because I'm a New Zealander. So, to all the lads out there, Please, for the love of God, bring it home. Not just for me. You're doing this for the whole rugby world because what you will do is be able to stop the South African fans from saying they're the world's best rugby nation in the world, 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 world. You know what I mean? So, if anything, don't do it for me. Don't do it for New Zealand. Do it for the whole rugby world because those South Africans will come for everyone if we do not stop them right now. Thank you. (laughs) All right, mate. Big weekend ahead. We will be back after the weekend to run yeah. down absolutely everything that's happened in the final and look forward, I guess, to what is next on the horizon. Super Rugby will get underway, not in the too far distant future. We'll probably have some pre-season games soon, I imagine. Um, the WXV is well underway um, for women's rugby, which I think is an awesome um, initiative that they've got mm-hmm. going. Um, unfortunately, we can... Only cover so much, and with the rugby yeah. cup on, we're covering that. 
Um, but we will get back onto women's rugby because New Zealand actually lost, so maybe that's why I didn't put it on the run sheet today. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for now, thank you for joining us. Uh, I've been Luke. He has been Husey. We have been that rugby podcast. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Peace.